Hi, James. Ben, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? <laughs> You're baiting me. We had this conversation. <laughs> I So I have this theory that whenever someone says they're fine, they they aren't good, but for whatever reason, they aren't willing to say they're good. And I said that to you and uh, your reaction when I said that to you before we started recording was... Well, oh no! I, it was I, I. I don't need you to pre-read my mind. If I'm unhappy, I will tell you. Right, and it starts to annoy you. And then I said, "So you really are fine." <laughs> that was that was an excellent recap, and it, it was. It, yeah, yes, right. I, I'm fine. And, and it was it was such a uh, good repost that <laughs> I laughed and my mood lightened and I became good. So I'm good, James. Excellent. That's what I like to hear. I'm very glad to hear it. Very good. This is uh, episode 90 of, of Exponent, and we are sponsored, as we will be all year, by MailChimp. You can use MailChimp to connect your e-commerce store. When you connect your store with one of MailChimp's hundreds of e-commerce integrations, you can create targeted campaigns, automate helpful product follow-ups, and send back in-stock messaging. Learn what your customers are purchasing, then send them better email. Connect your store, grow your business with MailChimp. And our thanks to MailChimp for, again, sponsoring Exponent. Yeah, thank you, guys. We really appreciate it. I wanted to do <laughs> because I cannot stay away. <laughs> I wanted to we. do some quick follow up. I want to do some quick follow up on Facebook. So, so it will be short. Bear, bear with us. Uh, but there, there, something I've had a ton of interactions about this on Twitter. In part because I started a little tweet storm about it. Um, <laughs> I, I I inflict this on myself. Yeah, that will uh, do but it. also, yeah, well, but also from this podcast and from some daily updates that I've written. And I think there's this really fundamental. Not misunderstanding, but like talking past each other that's happening on this. And like, there's, it's not that I'm a Facebook cheerleader or that I think that it's amazing for, you know, newspaper content companies to be on Facebook. Although there are aspects that actually are amazing, like mm. the fact you can reach, literally reach millions of people in like a very small amount of time, you know, for, if something goes viral, that, that's pretty amazing. But the the context that I'm talking about working with Facebook and why I think news organizations need to, of course, be wary of Facebook, but not view Facebook as the enemy. View, view Facebook as kind of this this giant that doesn't really care about them, but which needs content, and you can take advantage of that too. Obviously, it's it's a tough business. No one's saying it's not a tough business, but the the pushback people will come back and say all these problems about working with Facebook and they are all 100% right there are tons of problems with Facebook they might change the algorithm they might do this they might do that they might stop on you they might edit you they might as as we talked about and i the 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 pushback that i would have to those very fair objections is kind of the same pushback that i had to you last year when we talked about Facebook and we talked about like you know controlling the algorithm and like well what's the alternative mm -hmm. And that's my pushback here. What is the alternative? If you are saying that news organizations should not work with Facebook or, or, or should not pursue a strategy that entails leveraging Facebook to monetize, what should they do instead? Now, for sure, they, 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 they can do what I do. They can do subscriptions. They can do like, like the New York Times or Financial Times has been very focused on having strong paywalls and, and building that direct cost relationship. And that's fantastic. And I, that is clearly a better strategy if you can pull it off. And some people like BuzzFeed have been super explicit about embracing Facebook for all its ups and downs, and they're going to be kind of the low-cost provider there. But my entire point is you have to choose. You can't be holier than thou and stuck in the middle and and just saying, no, we're not going to do that. And, and meanwhile, you don't have you don't have anything. 
Yeah, I, I mean, it's I, it, it's funny that you pulled uh, pulled back to our conversation last year, and uh, uh, on the subject of people talking past each other on Facebook. I mean, I think we were probably guilty of it in the past as well. But that's exactly right. Like, there are these problems with it, but to ignore the reality of the situation and to ignore the reality of the fact that it commands—you said millions of people—it commands billions of eyeballs out there in the world. And fundamentally, uh, media companies are competing for eyeballs. And if you want to ignore it, like, well, it's not ignore it. If you want to say, don't do it, I think your, your point is absolutely right. You need an alternative. It reminds me a little bit of the, uh, the newspaper companies in Europe that were complaining bitterly about Google uh, to the point where they were, All right. it, it was was it lawsuits or regulation or whatever. It's like we don't want we don't want our articles in Google News. We don't want our articles listed under the re- search results. So Google's like, okay, we'll turn them off. Uh, the the traffic faced a yeah, precipitous within two decline. Days they were begging them, begging yeah. them to come back. This right. happened a couple times. It happened. It happened in Belgium in like 2006, I think. And then it just happened in 2014. I know because I wrote an article about it. I'll put it in, 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 the, in, in the notes. Mm. Uh, yeah, in Germany, where Ger- Germany was demanding it. I think that's maybe about to happen. I, I think it's been an ongoing sort of thing. But yeah, within when it would happen previously, it, like within like two weeks, they're begging Google to come back. Right. And so, so you're turning off the place where people, the front page of the internet for billions of people. And okay, if you, if, if that's what you're advocating, great, but have an approach. And I, I feel like implicitly there's some, that maybe there's some belief that the, that regulation's going to come along and clean it up and like regulation's going to make it better. And I, again, I, I, and I think you would accept that the media is an important part of a properly functioning society, but relying on this kind of in, Facebook's bad and, and don't go near it. And this kind of like, ah, uh, regulation or something else will clean it all up behind and we don't have an alternative other than that it's 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 you're you're living in a different reality right and i mean by all means like we're not saying like you have to like completely embrace it it's just uh, the the frustration i have what i'm pushing back is not against the people who are reasonable about this and are, and are like being very considered and, and, and about it what i'm pushing back is th- this attitude that in my experience is pretty widespread and not just on twitter like I, i've done uh various engagements with like media companies like that. and I just see this even at, at the very highest levels where there's this instinctual presumption of that Facebook is evil and the enemy and my entire and the problem is that that is that limits your options needlessly because the fact is Facebook is not your enemy Facebook is an entity that commands a lot of attention and yes they're they are they are earning a lot of advertising money that media companies believe they have a right to, which they don't. <laughs> like, but the, so yes, they're making money that you think is yours, but that doesn't make them your enemy. Like, Facebook is not out there to kill newspapers. Are are newspapers being killed? Yes, but they're being killed by the reality of the internet and the end of of having a lock on distribution and, and geographic monopolies and the default place to advertise. That's why newspapers are diving are are dying. Is the internet also why Facebook is possible? It is, but like, there's this. It's like, it's like there's like a fungi- fungibility sort of thing here, right? You know, like like they talk about like the fungibility of oil or money, for example, right? Mm. Like like once oil is in the market, you don't know where it's from, right? It, it's, mm-hmm. it's just oil. Or once money is out there, it's money. You don't know you don't you don't know where it's from, and and 
that's the way it is with like the internet. The internet is out there. It killed business models. It made other business models possible. It does not follow that the business models that were made possible are personally responsible for the ones that are not. Like it, because there's this whole middle f- step that you're kind of missing there. Yeah, just stepping back, it's it reminds me of that quote that's I don't know if it, if Darwin actually said this or if it was just attributed to him, but I, I the the sentiment is something that I I really appreciate and it holds true in the biological world as much as it does in the business world that it's not the strongest of the species that survive nor the most intelligent it's the one that's most adaptable to change and to ignore the fact that the distribution mechanism for your audience has changed and to instinctively assume that it's it's evil i mean it's a company it's not perfect but they're not out to kill you and the fact is that this is where the eyeballs are going and to ignore the fact fact is the newspapers were dead before facebook came along well i yeah it was really i feel google is the one that that like well craigslist if you really get technical but yeah you're right for sure but again but google but google again let let me push back i I know you're not necessarily saying this but let me be super clear google didn't kill newspapers google if if it was like, what I mean by that is if it wasn't Google it would have been something else. The mm-hmm. fact of the matter is the fundamental nature of the newspaper business model does not work on the internet. It doesn't take like the 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 I think I've used this example before, but I grew up with the Wisconsin State Journal, Madison Madison Wisconsin. What killed the Wisconsin State Journal was not Google. What killed the Wisconsin State Journal is that now instead of going to the Wisconsin State Journal, I could read the New York Times, right? They were because every single newspaper is now competing against each other, or I could go to a blog, or I could go to any uh, number of things that distracted me. The one limit, the one constraint in, in on the internet is time and attention. And with the internet, you are instantly competing against every single information source in the entire world at once. That's what killed newspapers. Yeah, and I mean, that's, that's on the reader's attention side. And then you start to watch the advertisers as well. And if you can get a, it used to be that the best, the best you could do as an advertiser was uh, advertise to people on correlated correlated things like, oh, they live in this town and uh, they read the newspaper. Therefore, you know what? They're, that's as good as we're going to get in terms of advertising to sell people cars. Now you can go into Google and someone's like, I want to buy an SUV. And you can see that they live in this this place. And like that is a highly qualified buyer. And if I am a if I am a car dealer and I have a certain amount of money to spend, I can keep putting it into newspapers or I can I can get somebody who's that far down the funnel that they're looking at SUVs and I know they're in my region. Why, why would I spend money uh, in the old world when this, this, this new mechanism makes things uh, so much more effective in terms of bang for my buck? Yeah, no, absolutely. But again, just to be like, just to, like, you're right. I'm not disagreeing with you. But it, I, I would, the only thing I would say is it doesn't follow that Google killed newspapers. Oh, no. Something, no I, I know you're not saying yeah. that. I, but, I, but I think this is, the, this is the leap of logic that I keep seeing. And, and if, it, if it wasn't Google, it would be something else. Like any, any, any number of advertising vehicles are better than newspapers. Like in the whole thing, like take Craigslist, for example. And it, like, yes, it was free, but it wasn't just that it was free, it was, it was so much better for, by virtue of being searchable. Just by virtue of the fact you could search Craigslist listings, it was infinitely better than than, than the newspapers ever were. Mm. And and of course, the fact that it was free and just kind of a lark like made it that much more devastating. <laughs> and yes, it had a huge impact. But if but if, if Craigslist wouldn't have come along, something else would have. And and it wouldn't have been that company. Like just the fun, the nature of everything changed. There was this really great um, 1991 letter to shareholder from Warren Buffett. 
who was writing, who was at the time owning, I think he owned the Washington Post and uh, another media company. I can't remember. And, mm-hmm. and he was remarking on what he saw as a, as a significantly weakened environment for media companies. And he talked about that, that media enterprises ha- had always been franchises. And what he called a franchise was, uh, it was it had a product or service that was, one, needed or desired, two, thought by its customers have no close substitute, and three, not subject to price regulation. And, and if you do that, in his point was, you, you'll make money. And you, you could have bad management; it doesn't matter. You'll make money, and that's what newspapers were. They were the they were the only they were the only option in in, in television stations as well because they own the spectrum. People wanted them. There was no substitute, and there was no regulation on on their pricing. They could charge as much as they wanted to for for, for ads, and they were super valuable. And and his point was he saw these as weakening, and and. and in this new environment with lots of new cable channels, this is before the internet. Like the internet made this a gazillion times worse. And he's, and he's like, the, the the danger for these companies is that they're franchises now, but they they may shift to being businesses, and businesses only earn profits. And he put this is I, the th- same things I've been banging on only through the low cost operator or only if the supply of its product or service is tight, which means they're highly differentiated. And they take very good management to succeed. Bad management will sink a business like it will not sink a franchise. And what the internet did is it it transformed all these former franchises that made money where they wanted to or not. And they could have things like Chinese walls and, and have their half their company not even care how they made money and be ignorant about it and glorifying their ignorance. And they shifted them to being businesses competing in the in the most competitive environment ever. Again, that's what killed them. The fact that they got killed mm. by someone or something is not the someone or something. It's the new environment. It's like dropping a, it's like dropping some cute cuddly animal in, in the Sahara or something. <laughs> yeah, I yeah I I get it, and it's easy to conflate the two. Uh, I, I mean, I, on the tech side of things, I'm just like, well, it was Google or someone else. It doesn't really matter. But uh, I, I, you're right. Like it's if it wasn't going to be Google, it would have been someone else. And to attribute this evilness to Google or Facebook, and again, not saying these companies are perfect, but to attribute it, it's to misattribute it. It's the it's the general effect of the internet and how it completely changed the d- dynamics of distribution and eyeballs and attention. Absolutely, and, and I and believe me, I've been. Like I, I think I've turned pretty critical of Facebook, particularly in the last last year or so. And I guess, and part of the frustration of this is not just that I think like I care about journalism and the media, and I want them to succeed, which means I want them to think think intelligently about business. It's that so many you're in this situation where so many you saw this with Apple like back in the day, right? Where I was like, Apple's doomed, and they're also dumb. That legitimate criticisms were missed, right? And the problem is, so many of these criticisms are just founded on bad underlying assumptions that the whole thing's invalid and and your and actual valid criticisms of Facebook and the way they operate which are many and have a lot to do with transparency in particular are kind of flushed away with all the nonsense well, it, it makes me happy that I feel like in terms of my complaints and our arguments about Facebook, I have anchored on transparency, but I'm now poking the bear saying things like that. And we've already gone 20 minutes on talking about last week's episode. So I'm going to get that last little jab in. And then No, you're not. Because I, 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 <laughs> no, uh, we, we have, I've been uh, in no, support I, I of transparency all along. I, yeah, I've of been course. also I'm, been against. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Sorry. Well, <laughs> okay. Um, I'm now I'm fine. 
Touche, touche. Speaking speaking of Facebook, uh, uh, so Snapchat had uh, announced the uh, a wearable. It was interesting. Uh, what, what did you think of the spectacles? I uh, so I I think that they're more likely to succeed than Google Glass because you don't look like a complete uh, a complete uh, high tech circus clown walking around with them on your face. That being said, uh, it's now starting to get down into a question of fashion sense. Now I'm sure there are at least some people, particularly the way it was introduced. I'm sure there are some people that will think those things are fashionable. I do not, but the very simple and focused use case. And I feel like this is a topic that's come up a bunch of times in the past, particularly around the watch where it feels like with, with, um, uh, the Apple Watch. They uh, we discussed how like one of the criticisms is it was not focused. They tried to do way too many things, uh, particularly at the start. The messages were blurry, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The one thing I will appreciate about what they did is it's a very specific use case and. Um, in the same way that you like the watch uh, for the notifications, and I think that is one of the best, the better use cases for the watch because it means you don't have to pull your phone out. You're ready to go right, like bang, like you can just look at your wrist and you can see who's messaging you. I think the use case for the spectacles is actually uh, pretty damn good. There are moments where you do not want to have to reach for your camera like and it's gotten better, but flick on the thing, hit the record, hit the, or, or switch the mode or whatever. You, the, the glasses are just there on your face. They have the exact viewpoint that you have, which is the viewpoint that uh, lots of people use when they're uh, recording Snapchat videos. Ready to go, recording, 10 seconds, bang, done. It's like good to go. I, so the, the degree to which it's focused is, I think, awesome. I think it's it's certainly got a, uh, it's got a, uh, there's a great use case for it from a acceptability from a fashion perspective I, like i think there are people who are going to be willing to put them on their face i will tell you that i am not going to be one of them though at least not yet uh, well, well you are well known for your fashion sense again. i will go farther i will say it doesn't matter what they look like they could look like bizarro wings and they'd probably have a similar chance to succeed Mm. and the reason is and i I go back to what's kind of like the gold standard in introducing a new device i i I would still go back to the ipod Mm. what was so powerful about the ipod i mean it wasn't just it it was (laughs) the the simplicity of it Mm. you plug it in your computer and then you had a thousand songs in your pocket Mm -hmm. and that was literally all you had to do and why was that all you had to do well there was already iTunes. There was already the whole rip, mix, burn sort of thing, uh, which was, you know, <laughs> the the recording industry was thrilled about that that lo- that logo or that slogan, to say the least. <laughs> but the idea was this idea of people having music on their computers was already a thing. Mm-hmm. The whole MP3 thing. I mean, I would I remember back in the day, like, yeah, I know some people aren't using whatever. I I was in the whole FTP thing. Where you get these these weird FTP addresses. Hotline. FTP Did you ever do use Hotline? I didn't. No, I was I was always FTP. That was the big thing when I was in college. And then I was actually the first person on my floor to get Napster when that came out. It was, and I remember like going like door to door telling you like this is unbelievable. You cannot believe this new thing. Uh, and but the whole point was by by the time the 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 iPod came out, there especially in our generation, everyone had tons of digital music. Mm-hmm. Where they got it is a completely another question. Statue of limitations is fast, right? Mm-hmm. And so when it came along, all you had. There, all the pieces were there. Literally, all you had to do with the iPod was plug it in your computer, 
and that was all. <laughs> like, and then it worked. How critical was that to to it becoming the product and 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 powerhouse that it was? Was was that start? And what was so brilliant about it, we talked about this in the kindness of the watch. It took all the functionality of managing your music and organizing it in folders and all sort of stuff, and it put that all that on the more capable device onto the computer, and it just kept. And all it did was one thing: was play music. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, yeah. You're you're spot on. It's like, and that's what the watch standard. did not do, right? That's what uh, the watch yeah. did not do, right? It was like that whole like app interface, and like we talked about this even before the watch came out, like because we both thought that the Apple's watch before it came out would be like that. It'd be something simple, more more like a, a Fitbit or something, where it was more mm. of a recorder or a notification. And I still think in that probably would have been the better 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 approach in retrospect. Obviously, we, we took a long and twisted route to coming back to that position. <laughs> <laughs> but but if you think about what's so impressive about spectacles is it's very iPod-like in its execution. What do you do with them? You put them on and you press a button. And everything else is offloaded onto the device and into the Snapchat app. It goes into the app and from there you can do stuff with it. But the the actual hardware themselves, it, it, it's it's as simple as could be. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm with you 100%, and I I like the parallel you just drew to the iPod. I think you're right. I do think you're underestimating the importance of um, the importance of people thinking this. If particularly when it comes to wearing these things, there is a sense, and particularly at the demographic that um, Snap Snap Inc. is that what they're now called yep. is um, targeting for. Uh, the use of of these spectacles, it it does need to be fashion conscious. Like people do not want to put things on their body or wear them and look ridiculous. And it's it's one of these things where I I have a personal opinion about what I'd wear and it doesn't affect anybody else. I I but what did give me what did give me um what I did like was the way it was introduced. The way it was introduced seemed very sensitive to the fact that this isn't just a techie thing. This isn't just a a device with that fantastic use case. And it is very focused and all the things you just said. They introduced it, that that picture of the different colors and the different people wearing it. And, you know, like, like they were very sensitive to the fashion side of it. And it felt like it was positioned at that audience. So I, I will disagree with you a little bit around it doesn't matter what it looks like in terms of it being successful when it comes to something that people put on their face okay fair, fair enough fair enough that's fair but i guess there's there's a there's a there, i think there's an aspect of of fashion though where there's there's sort of like path dependency if, if that makes i'm not sure if that's that might not be the right thing I'm are, are you are you almost like it's kind of successful they do a good job and it, it like the fashion follows the form the fact it does it, the fact it does the use case so well and people are using it because they get to record their dog or their friends and they get to send out these snaps so quickly or the people who care the most about their snapchat their snapchat feeds are the ones that are going to naturally wear the glasses who are naturally the cool kids like is there some kind of uh, chicken and egg type thing that you're referring to? A little bit, and what I what I what I mean is, if these were just launching in a vacuum mm. and say they were they, they, they a startup launches glasses with an app, and it was as simple as could be, you tap it, and it goes to this app, and then the app is like in your phone folder or something. Mm-hmm. I don't think it would be successful, and and people would be much more critical about the fashion, like whether whether they're fashionable or not, you know, it's fashionable mm. to be critical, and and, and so. 
the, the difference here is because they're being watched by Snapchat, which has hundreds of millions of users, I think 150 million daily active users. Mm-hmm. And, and and by all accounts, those daily active users are very active users. It, it, it's it's launching with a with a, with a sense of inevitability that can't be achieved unless you already have that. Like it's like it's Snapchat. Snapchat is this thing. It's known as a as a as a young people thing. And, uh, you know, it's it's Snapchat itself is fashionable, mm-hmm. and by virtue of being Snapchat's glasses, there's a sense of like they basically have to clear a floor as opposed to hit a ceiling, if that makes sense, right? They just have to not be objectionable. And and by virtue of the Snapchat halo and by plugging into this ecosystem, and, and it's not just that you tap it and it works, it's that you tap it and it goes into a network that is already up and running and churning through content like 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 nothing, like nothing ever ever really. Yeah. That changes the the evaluation of what's uh, of of if it's fashionable or not. Yeah, I, I, I get, I get with, what with you're a, saying. With, with the acknowledgement, we're two geeks talking about what's fashionable. Yeah, right. So. I, I, I mean, you, uh, uh, you uh, when you talked about it, when you wrote the article, I think you included a picture of um, uh, a few famous VCs wearing the Google Glass, and one of which was Mark Andreessen. And with all due respect to Mark Andreessen, he does have a little bit of an odd-shaped head. And seeing him wear those glasses is just like the ultimate in like, okay, I'm not sure I actually want to look like that. Well, the better example, people remind me, I actually, I, I, I had a brain freeze i forgot about this probably the more famous example of google glass is robert scoble in the shower uh, <laughs> which is really really about as far away from the optimal sort of snapchat demographic that, that you could get right uh it, here's the thing though like google also has a really cool brand and google has uh they're not as it doesn't skew as young and all these things but they also have a uh you know uh, a lot of uh, a lot of users and all these things and it's easy to say in retro Respect. Oh, this is going to be a complete uh, flop. Uh, n- no, no. Everyone said at the time it'd be a flop. Yeah. Uh, the the one thing that was interesting, you said it was inevitable, but the way that um it was introduced in that in that Wall Street Journal article was they were they were playing down very low expectations, or at least that's what I, I only briefly read the article. And to be clear, I'm not saying it was inevitable. I'm saying by by the way the nature of it, it feels inevitable. Mm. And, and that is so powerful and interesting a new product. When the thing, when the new thing that you do feels like, oh yeah, of course they would do this. That's when you know you, you, you understand your market and you're launching into uh, a hole in the market. And what's so impressive about Snapchat, and I, we, I think we talked about this you know, early last year, I wrote, I wrote an article called Snapchat's Ladder, is the way they've systematically, whether purposely or not, or just kind of figured it out as they go, created like market needs for themselves. They started out with the idea that Facebook is is who you and this gets back to the whole you need the things around it. Facebook Snapchat needed Facebook to exist for Snapchat to exist. Because Facebook took care of what was the natural first need to fill when it came to identity on the internet. It was your public identity and who you are. And Facebook filled that and dominated it and that's why there's the the monster that they are. Monster in a financial sense, or whatever sense. <laughs> Careful. But, but that what that did was it gave Snapchat the opening to be 
yourself to be in, in the ephemerality that that became very core to the concept of what, what Snapchat was. But that only made sense in the context of Facebook already existing, right? So Snapchat comes in with this ephemeral chat concept, and then they've levered up from that to stories, which is just an incredible product, and Facebook is ripping it off, to to the, the add-on to Discover thing, which is kind of an, a, an add-on to stories, which is probably easier for them to figure out monetization and get, like professional content is professional for a reason. Mm. But then they added on memories, a few, a few, and, and the memories when people kind of scratch their heads, why are they doing memories? And and lo and behold, spectacles comes out, and where do the spectacles videos go? They go into memories, and and that's the framing about spectacles is, is it's about it's about making memories and. It's so impressive the way they took that initial opening that was created by Facebook, filled it, and then have levered up to these things where you they introduce these features like, oh yeah, of course that makes sense. It's it's funny. Just last week we were talking about how uh, so many folks now think that the internet is just you know like the 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 cards have already kind of landed and it's too late to come in and shake up all the big players. And our natural response was actually, no, there's uh, maybe that's true in tech tech, but all the, all the fields outside of tech tech, like where tech starts to interact with the real world, there's still so many of them that are up for grabs. What's interesting about what you, what you just described, that dynamic is even in tech tech where it feels like there is a behemoth that cannot be challenged, if you are adept at understanding your customers and empathizing with them and understanding the, the different jobs that your customers hire different products on the internet to do, you can see unfulfilled needs and move uh, with uh, move into spaces that uh, where where a small little startup is challenging one of the 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 biggest internet companies that there is, which is quite amazing. Yeah, it's not a small little startup anymore. Just no, to say the least. No, but, no, no. That's but no, true. Yeah, but it but started we, there. And when they started, was it 2011 or 2012? Like, yeah, people were on the like, oh, you know, messaging app chats are are dead. Uh-huh. And no, they they weren't. And, and yeah, and I, I there's such a as a side rant. There's such this inherent cynicism that is so annoying. Yes, on one hand, like techie types in Silicon Valley can be way too overly optimistic in a way, and like everything's great and wonderful, and 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 you know, congrats and whatnot. But on but that and yes, there's problems with that. But on the flip side, being cynical about everything and everything is doomed and it's done and whatever, and and nothing's gonna ever get better. That doesn't do any good either. And frankly. Over the course of history, the optimists have it. And, 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 and anyhow, sorry, that was a side rant. How do you, so question for you before you go any further. How do you, because this is something I grapple with. Like my natural reaction when I see these new things, yeah, I'm living in Optimist Central and there's a reason I'm here because I love what so much of what comes out of here. But when you see these new things, how do you, like given your ranting, I feel it's a reasonable question. How do you bite down on that natural cynicism and say, actually, this seems like a pretty good idea? Well, I think I think there's there's kind of a you're you're go, you're going to err. Like no one can call everything perfectly. Right. It's impossible, right? Sure. And so the question is, in what in what direction are you going to bias yourself? And and I guess the the way I would think about it is how does if you're a venture capitalist, how do you think about investment? And this is something that that people have a really hard time internalizing. So people say, oh, venture capitalist X invested thirty 
million dollars in this company and the company went out of business. Oh, what a disaster. It's not really a disaster. Like what cost, what, what was the cost of the venture capitalists? Well, it's the opportunity cost of not investing the $30 million somewhere else, right? Yeah, the cost is $30 million. We have these funds now. Say it's a $500 million fund, and they have $30 million. Yes, there is an opportunity cost, but but from a very tangible math perspective, the cost is $30 million. Mm-hmm. That's $30 million put in the company, and that money is gone. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, if that company succeeds and becomes a... $50 billion company or ten billion or even a billion dollar company, or it could be any of those. And so the, the question is what's the what's the ops what's the upside of that $30 million? It's it's it could be billions of dollars, right? And and what you have is you have this the, the level of potential upside mm. vastly exceeds the level of downside. The downside is $30 million. It's capped. Because yeah. the worst that can happen is you lose all your money. The best that can happen is way infinite. And so the the approach of of a venture capitalist in general, of course, there's an opportunity cost. You're very right. That's why they can't fund everything, right? But in general, it pays off to have a sort of optimistic bent. There's this great interview that that Kara Swisher did with with Bill Gurley, where he he kind of said the way you the way you have to frame your thinking is not think about what could go wrong because that's the instinct of everyone. And with a startup, a million things could go wrong. You have to think about what could go right, and and, and it takes a different sort of thinking because the real loss, the the biggest possible loss a venture capitalist can can get is not is turning down. A, a huge opportunity. And girl, we talked about like them not getting into Google, right? That's a bigger loss than all the other companies, you know, that, that, that they they could have invested in. Yeah. Or 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 the the companies they like they, they he's more anchored on missing out on that 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 one big one than he is uh, disappointed that he invested in all the little small ones or all the ones that ended up going on to fail. Right. So, so, so I guess the way, the way it followed from me personally, I'm not investing any money. Right. Mm. And I also generally don't write about stage, you know, what early stage early. startups. Right. Um, I usually, they have to have either, they have to be really super interesting or they have to be having some significant impact or, or be relatively large before I, before I write about them. But, but I, I certainly observe them. And I guess the, the, the the approach, uh, I guess, just be biased towards looking how it might might succeed while acknowledging all the ways it could fail. I think I've been pretty consistent generally in doing that, like not being a blind cheerleader, but saying, wow, this is really interesting. If they go in this direction and do this, it could be a really big deal. Of course, they have all these things their way. And I think with Snapchat, you know, they have to manufacture this. It may, maybe it won't be popular. There's, I put this in the article. There's reasons why it might not succeed. But I think there's more value in thinking about how it, what's the impact if it does and what are the reasons that it might or might not? And on the flip side, you could, when you say something is going to fail, don't say it's going to fail because something else failed before. What are the conditions that cre- that meant made Google Glass fail? Do those conditions apply to Snapchat? What's different? What's whatever? I don't know. I'm not sure if I answered your question, but no, you did. You did. I, I mean, I uh, like we went from a, a uh, I, I feel good about the fact we went from a little side rant into like an interesting exploration of like taking a lens of like like taking the lens of, of someone like Bill Gurley, who's one of the, the most well-known and reputable VCs that there are out there and changing your thinking around, which is I, you're right. It is fashionable to be cynical. And uh, when you're out here looking at these companies, you can be cynical. You can take that approach all the time. But what you're going to do is you're going to 
miss these these Snapchats, these Googles. You're, you're going to miss the the trajectory that they might be on. And the the more interesting question to ask is not how might they fail because everybody can figure out a hundred times these things half the or almost all the time. If you see what it's like on the inside, they all should have failed a hundred times uh, throughout their life. But rather than anchoring on that, focus on okay, what happens if they succeed? What's the impact that happens if if they actually make it? The other thing is, I think it actually makes you a better critic too. And and and, and I I would like to think I don't have a reputation of being a blind cheerleader if, in general that I, I am critical of, of things. But the reason – but I think the, the criticism that matters and the criticism that is valuable is taking into account where this company is going or where they might go. Given that, what are the obstacles they are going to face and where are the problems you can see in the company today, right? We get this all the time with Apple is a, is a classic example. Mm. If you want us to talk about how awesome Apple is because of their financial statements, like there's plenty of reporters. In fact, there are bots that write r- news reports based on financial statements. Go subscribe to a bot. Like the, the, the value we are hope we're providing is, is – is not looking at Apple today, but Apple in five to 10 years. And what are the th- conditions today? Where are the trends today? What is Apple doing today? What's the culture of Apple today that will impact where they are then? And the reason that's actually valuable criticism is because they can make changes, right? To criticize something that's already the case today, you needed to make the criticism several years prior. And 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 again, I, a, Apple's an easy example, but I think it's the same thing with startups. If you start, If you think about well, how might this fail? If they fail, congratulations, pat on your back. What impact has that had? They they were going to fail anyway, right? Where you take something like like writing about Uber a few years ago, or 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 the big companies that will be big now today, and like, well, they're going to have these issues or whatever going forward. Like I had to throw a thing about Uber in the Daily Update about like, are they actually? good at strategy. And I think that's a val was a valuable thing for me to write now because Uber right now doesn't need to think strategically. They're kind of like because they're they're in such they're they've been in this growth phase and they're still greenfield to go. But they are going to need to think strategically going forward. And if I write something today that they read and 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 makes them think more critically about how they make decisions, that's actually impactful in a way that doing a postmortem is not. Totally. I that is a, also a really cool way of framing it. That if you want to figure out, it's 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 um, you can look around. Like it's almost like if you think about these startups as a vehicle, and you can look around at all the things that they could potentially run into. But actually, having an understanding of the direction that the vehicle is heading will tell you what the real obstacles might be. And to uh, put yourself inside the company and figure out the way it might change the world and the direction that it's heading and then see the obstacles along that course, you're right. That absolutely does make you a better critic. Well, and the other thing too that I, I, I get a little frustrated at is is <laughs> I guess this is this is the Ben Rant episode. But like I, I will I will write something about a particular situation and someone will be like, no, that's not the case. And they'll send me like facts about today. But like what I was writing about is where the company's going, for example, right? Like we talk about BuzzFeed, for example, right? That that I and I wrote this uh, uh, like a year ago that BuzzFeed is pivoting away from the the sort of creating content for advertisers model, which doesn't scale and has various, you know, it's it's questionable how long they can maintain differentiation to much more of a we're just we're focused on building low cost viral content and making money on the platforms themselves. Mm-hmm. And and so on. Well, actually, according to the revenue figures last year, da, 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 and but that wasn't my point. If you want to know, like, and this is why I don't call myself a reporter. Yes, 
what I said is not true if you look at BuzzFeed's revenue for whatever period that journalist happened to have the numbers right. He was right. But I wasn't writing about now. I'm writing about where they are going. And I, I, I get the risk is you're more likely to get stuff wrong, right? This is why I, I try to be very disciplined in saying when I get stuff wrong because by definition, if you're writing about a year or two down the road or, or more, you're going to get stuff wrong because any number of things could happen or you could just be wrong. Yeah, right. You're, you're, I mean, here's the thing about, uh, and this is true inside the company as much as it's true outside of the company. If you are relying on the fine, like in that specific instance, if you are relying on the financials to figure out what the strategy is, it, it's like driving out the rear vision mirror. Like the numbers are a trailing, not a leading indicator. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that's going to happen between now and then and where they might be going. So yeah, that, that in particular, I'm very much a strong proponent of. Yeah, well, I think, and I think this is where the, the talking about startups gets tricky because because for a reporter to actually get the financials of a startup is a big deal because they are secret and no one knows what they are, and so it's very valuable. I'm not I'm not denigrating reporting or saying what's going on at all. I'm just trying to characterize. I don't know. Like I said, it's the Ben Ren episode. Like, like yeah. The, the difference between between the two, if that makes sense. Totally. So I like, sorry, we're talking too much about me. Let's talk. About, no, 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 no. Yeah. Well, so here's one of the things that you touched on that I found very interesting. Uh, that I'm interested in because there are parallels here between various different paradigms of computing. But you kind of touched on this notion that. Uh, and apparently it was one of the reasons why the article took you so long because you were illustrating that wonderful picture in was it, it's <laughs> in paper. But this notion how there were all these different devices all around, uh, I mean, in pockets or whatever, whether it was the camera, the calculator, the phone, all these, the, the iPod, and they all centralized in the iPhone when it was launched. And uh, there, there, there is this... Uh, trend uh no l- let me just stop there is that like i l- i want to hear yeah, you it, talk about no, it no that, that's right and, 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 that, and that's not a new observation there was a very there's a famous photo that was like super viral a couple years ago of like on the top was like all the actual they actually all the devices that i drew they actually took a picture of all of them and on the bottom was like mm. just a phone and like that that was before this is now so this idea that the i that the that the smartphone incorporated all of these devices was was not a new one, and so that that particular step. I think the main the point I was trying to make is is stepping back even further and realizing there's kind of like this. Those devices didn't always exist, right? There was a time where it was just the PC, and then think about well, think go back to the iPod. The iPod is such a great example of this. The iPod presumed what made the iPod so powerful was it presumed the presence of a computer and it offloaded all the organizational and getting music stuff to the computer and so the iPod could be just an iPod and that's what made it such a great device from day one it was so simple and easy to use because it presumed the presence of a computer and then you had digital cameras a digital camera in and of itself not very valuable a digital camera you connect to a computer suddenly valuable because you can put the, the photos on the computer and then process them and do all kinds of thing, th- things with them and and, and you, so you had the digital hub that Steve Jobs famously talked about where the, the, the PC was in the middle and you had these various devices that were made powerful by the presumption they would plug into a computer. And it's those devices that in the long run got collapsed into the iPhone. 
It's it's so interesting because if you go like if you start to look at the sweep of history, this trend of centralization, decentralization seems to have happened so many times. One of the things we talked about on last week's episode was this notion that once upon a time there was no uh, there was no com- com- computational recording of what was happening in banks that people were doing it. Uh, via paper using slide rules and accounting paper and then the mainframe came along and everything got centralized and slowly bit by bit many computers desktops laptops and now smartphones it's being decentralized and this notion that it happens in waves and obviously that the relationship between a mainframe and a smartphone inside the business is very different to the relationship that's happening in people's lives and all those devices being centralized and decentralized but the general observation i would make is that when decentralization happens like this it's very disruptive and that's another thing that i thought was super interesting about the spectacles when you view it through this lens of centralization versus decentralization and decentralization tending to be a disruptive force that incumbents find hard to react to those spectacles take on a very like it's a very interesting perspective i would go a step further because Mm. centralization is also very i won't say disruptive because i've made this point before Mm. it's not I call it obsoletive because what happened was the phone made the digital camera obsolete. And, mm-hmm. and like, again, it didn't happen immediately, but you could see it happen right, right away. It made the standalone phone obsolete. It made the standalone GPS obsolete. It made the mm-hmm. iPod obsolete. Apple, Apple, And we praise Apple for, 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 for doing that. And in the long run, it's made the PC obsolete for a huge number of people. And, 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 and so that is a very disruptive process. But then what happens? Like, what are you talking about? You're talking about new devices that are created with the presumption that that centralized device is there, right? Mm-hmm. This, the, the, the snap spectacles presume the, the iPhone is there. And more specifically, that the Snapchat app is there and the Snapchat network is there. And same, the Apple Watch presumes that the phone is there. And you, you're, you're like the AirPods, very much a wearable, very interesting, kind of like the new iPod, right? Mm-hmm. But, but they, they presume you, you wouldn't design an iPod the way an iPod was designed back in the 2000s because you're not designing with the presumption of PC, you're designing with the presumption of a phone. And, and you make different decisions and make different devices. And then you can extend this out and think, okay, we're extending out these devices that are, assume the iPhone. Well, in the long run, what happens when one of those devices kind of becomes the center itself, which mm-hmm. is what happened with the phone? Because when the phone started, it connected to a PC, right? Yeah, I, look, this is I, you're, you're spot on. And this is another reason why I think these spectacles are so interesting because they are biting off a very narrow use case. It is uh, to lots of people going to be dismissed as a toy, which I won't say is a causal mechanism behind disruption, but it but is. It's, it's, it's a pretty good sign. It's a really good sign. And these it's going, to mean that if these things get adopted then guess what they're going to figure out all like they've got a a nice bite-sized problem that they can figure out what 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 it takes to like get 
uh, computers, quote unquote, on people's faces and what they're looking for and what they need, and they can gradually build out from there. It's so critical. It's so critical that they're not selling like Google Glasses and yes, self-contained exactly. sort of thing. Yes, and, and, like people are like, oh, well, Google Glass had like the Google Android Play Store. No, that was that was an adjunct. It wasn't integral to the experience, Spot. right? It was a way to get someone on there. On. It was a self-contained thing by virtue of not being self-contained. And and people, you're not getting these inflated expectations, which is critical because the reality. Reality is if if spectacles grow up to be something meaningful. And by mm-hmm. the way, building a device that goes in front of your eyes is a pretty damn good mm-hmm. place to be building a device. Damn straight. If they get there, the way it works is going to be very different than the way stuff today works. This is the problem with the watch, right? They they replicated the yes. iPhone. Yes. And, and, yes. And, yes. Yes. And this is why like Fitbit strategy is yes. more attractive than Apple's. Even though Apple, by and this is where Apple's advantage is, right? By virtue of being Apple, they might brute force their way in, into the market, right? But the, what, what's so great about the Fitbit is it started, it did one thing. It tracked your steps. And it, it didn't start on your wrist. It started a thing you clipped on. So they didn't have to deal with, like, the weird social thing of what's that thing on your wrist. Like, it could just be in your pocket. for the, And and now there's this thing that, that it does this thing. And, and they own that. And now they're owning that spot. And that's so powerful. And I don't think Fitbit can make it for, again, for various reasons, but the the approach is very very sound. The uh, so again, it's it's an N of one, and every uh, you should always take this with a grain of salt. But I also think that there is something very powerful about um, being very self aware about the reasons why you look at things and the decisions you make in terms of purchasing, particularly when it uh, when it comes to things you're interested in. For me, for you, that's probably technology. Do you know what the completely unexpected behavior for me was as a result of the Apple Series 2 introduction was, I found myself on the Fitbit website thinking, huh, the killer the killer app as as Apple have decided is actually uh, is actually health and fitness. I actually think that these guys do a better job with health and fitness. They have a device that's much simpler. I don't have to take it off and charge it all the time. Yep, it's battery uh, lasts for a week. Yeah, exactly. Like, I actually wonder if the Fitbit is possibly the better choice. And I didn't end up getting one. They have the basic model, which look great because you can wear it in the pool. And I love swimming. And that's Apple's big thing now, too. The only thing that held me back was they don't have a heart rate monitor on it yet. And I bet you that's coming pretty damn soon. But it's, yeah, it's, I think that no, the, oh, the, the, the one with the heart rate monitor doesn't have swimming. It, is it? Exactly. I'm, oh, okay. I'm looking I'm looking for both. And I, but I actually think that uh, it's and I think you probably had some influence on this, too, because reading your stuff, it's hard to disaggregate in my head where it's all coming from. But uh, since the Series 2 watch has been introduced and since it's been decided that the killer the killer app is fitness, it's like, well, hang on. Why am I spending all this money on a watch and replacing my existing watch, which actually does does a pretty good t- job of t- of t- telling the time. I'll just put this other thing that tracks all my movement on my other wrist. Yeah, no, th- 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 that's the real that, that that's the problem that Apple has by not understanding what they're building from the beginning. Yes, is that yes. the watch isn't perfectly attuned to being a health and fitness device. Like it, it like in a way, like yeah, if the, the if you just want health and fitness, like I think the Fitbit Charge Two, I think like it's one hundred and fifty dollars. It's way cheaper. If you lose it or it breaks, it's okay. And it uh, the battery lasts for a week. Like that's a pretty that's a pretty helpful thing if you want to track your health and fitness all the time. It's it's so funny that uh, in and I, obviously we took a little bit of a detour, but by and large we've been saying this about the watch 
uh, since since the very beginning that, that they did not know what they were doing. They they took a shotgun and they fired it at the side of a barn and they were hoping they would hit something. And it's interesting how this. Um, well, they did, they did, but the problem is they, they weren't. But they were already down a path, and now they kind of have to backtrack. But there are right. certain decisions that have been made that can't be unmade. Right, and and it's interesting how uh, contrasting that with what happened with Google Glass and the spectacles puts it in such sharp relief for me. I, I found it actually it's helped my understanding of why I've been frustrated with the watch. Looking at how. Uh, Snap's taken this approach of a very focused, very narrow, oh, it's a toy type thing with the glasses versus Google's approach. Oh, it does everything. You can talk to it. It takes pictures. It's got a heads up display. It's, which, meant, is, which meant it sucked at everything. You're right. It, rather than do what and make it affordable and make a few people really happy, uh, they tried to make it everything for everybody and everybody was left wanting more. Yeah, it, the, the other thing, that, but it's not the thing with about the the spectacles. It's so simple and it's a toy and it does one thing. And you're right. And I love this idea of this kind of this disruption, obsolete and sort of oscillism. You know, mm. that, 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 that mm-hmm. kind of happens. It, which I think there's there's something there. It, but the other thing is, is the spectacles are also so much more powerful than glass ever was. And the reason they're so powerful is tapping that button dumps the video into a network of, of, of hundreds of millions of people. It, 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 it dumps it into a, a use case that's already being yeah. used. People mm-hmm. are take, like people. I think is people. I think old people have this presumption that it's just a bunch of people taking selfies because that's one of the funnest things to do with Snapchat with, with the filters and stuff like that. But from my understanding, and, and I feel pretty comfortable with this, like people just like take are taking photos of everything around them all the time and just sending and sending them, putting their stories. And it's it's like instead of sending text messages, they're they're just sending photos. It, it, it's a conversation with photos basically, and that's how you get these scenarios of kids taking thousands of pictures a day. None of which they're keeping. It's it's just it's just sharing their reality. And whoa, sorry, what'd you say? Sharing their reality. Spectacles is is again, if it wasn't obvious before, it should be obvious now. That's exactly what they enable. And now you think a couple years down the road, wow, now you can they're augmented reality. You can see stuff in the glasses. Mm. Right. Now you you're carrying on a conversation with people around you with on your face without out taking out your phone at all. And yes, that sounds weird and creepy, but if you told people 15 years ago everyone would be walking around with their, with their with their face holding a phone in front of their face, you would have thought that was weird and creepy too. Stuff changes and but it doesn't change by brute forcing it. It changes by developing a use case and then building on top mm. of that. And and again, mm-hmm. no company is doing this better than Snapchat right now. Land and expand rather than try and bite off the whole thing at once. It's a much better approach. Like in terms of product development, it is just such a much better approach. Right. Snapchat has built like they've built this entire train and then dropped in this piece. Right. The spectacles fits in so well as opposed to Google Glass, which is like, we're going to way down rail and we're gonna like it's like i mean it's but it's a it's a yeah it's a very google approach to things right it's it's like you know like it's not necessarily taking account of how people behave and what they want it's 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 start with the engineering oftentimes rather than necessarily starting with the use case but even google like google yes and google's always been google succeeded because of tech their tech yeah right and and that's always been a part of the culture is we just have Mm -hmm. the best tech but if you think about it Google the, the Google the Google product itself was dependent on there being 
information. They're being links and they're being stuff to come ahead of time. And by the way, in getting a distribution deal with Yahoo didn't hurt either, which I had already built an audience. Google needed there to be web pages and links for it for it to do. Like it needed the internet to exist. It sounds it sounds dumb, but nothing exists in a vacuum. Well, totally. I would take that one step further. Like one of the fundamental assumptions around Google being successful back when it started in the late 90s that I think is no longer holding true is that the world was and all the information was open. And increasingly, it's the case that uh, information is being uh, withheld or, or walled off inside these companies' ecosystems. And in an environment, like that's one of the big shifts that I think has taken place, that, that, that the internet has gone from, by its very nature, much more open to a more closed type environment. And Google, the best technology does tend to win in an entirely open environment. But as things close off, it's other it's other attributes inside of companies and other attributes of products that determines what wins and what loses. And I think that's where Google and its very tech-first fo- focus may actually find its struggles. It's, great. it's a great point. You can't search anything in Snapchat on Google, right. that's for sure. Or it, Facebook. It, it, but I would just, I would just, I would just add on. This is the case with all products. I wrote. I talk about Facebook. Facebook was digitized. The Harvard year Facebook, like mm-hmm. there, there actually existed a Facebook. It was analog, and they digitized it, right? But it built on. There was already an expectation and idea of this, and there was directories to upload and and, and all this sort of stuff. Uh, the iPhone built on top of there being phones, and they're like the iPhone. What was it? It was a. I wrote about it this week. It was the three things. It was the iPod and a phone and an internet communicator. Well, guess mm-hmm. what? Phones already existed, iPods already existed, and the internet already existed. And and the power, like again, this is to take no credit away from 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 anyone, any of Mark Zuckerberg or from Steve Jobs or from anyone. Like it, it takes, they are product geniuses without question. But they don't. Nothing is birthed in a vacuum. The the, the brilliance, and I wrote this in the very first post, Mister Shekri, the the one that started at the beginning. The the, the brilliance comes not from. It's from being just a split second ahead and seeing how the tide is going, how the winds are blowing. Mm. And and if you can understand that and where it's going and put yourself in a position to take advantage, then you then the internet feeds back on itself and, and you and you grow it into a massive but the problem is these companies they get it in their head. They misattribute success. And they mm. and they attribute all their success to their own brilliance and their own strategy and all the things that they did. And they don't appreciate all the conditions that went into their success. And that's why you have these second efforts of all these companies failing because they're trying to do it all themselves because they think that's how they did it the first time. And it's not. The way they did it the first time is they identify an opportunity and to their credit, created something that fit the opportunity. And if if you are successful in making a second or third product, it's because you laid the groundwork of that new opportunity. Like Apple laid the groundwork with, with iTunes and with the iPod and with the Mac and with OS X and all that sort of stuff that went into making the iPhone successful. With the watch, they just kind of threw it out there. And, and, and it, was that, it was that sense of making a place for it that didn't happen. AirPods, very different. It's a it's a very simple thing. Guess what? We launched an iPhone with no headphone jack, and we have yeah. Well, how about this great solution we have, right? And people people are kind of annoyed at it. Oh, you're going to charge me 150 dollars for this thing? Blah blah blah. blah. And by all accounts, actually, Apple's making pretty well margin on these. Like, they, there's a lot of technology in there. But man, what the potential! Like, if you think in the long run, what does it mean to have a computer that you're plugging into your ear? It's amazing. But they're not selling that. They're selling a 
we, we have, there's a problem with the iPhone 7. You can't plug in your headphones. How about you get these ones instead? And and that's how you start and you create a need and you fill it and you go from there. Totally. And it very focused, like the, the like the opposite of what they did with the watch. Like, And it's, it's much more in line with the spectacles, like you said. Yeah. And I mean, the spectacles, man. I mean, and this is like people. Oh, man, sorry, I'm a true believer. I'm no, going like, to get I wrote, off so this. I wrote, I wrote the end of spectacles about like this. This does in the long run put Snapchat as like a, a Apple rival because – you think about the yeah. long run, and because Snapchat's totally self-contained. When that phone is in your pocket and you're just using spectacles, it doesn't matter what phone you have, right? And why would you look at your watch? Yeah, well, there's lots of problems, and of course, it's uh, another article saying everything has to be put at Apple's doomed. <sighs> so freaking annoying. No, it's it, it, <laughs> <laughs> it, the problem is is that this is owning the eyes is is about the most powerful place you could be and this is a legitimate and has a reason to argue it might succeed it goes back to argument might they yeah, fail they exactly. might they might uh, totally fail and and if you say they fail and they fail congratulations you're like a squirrel that found a nut and like but think through what might what might happen if they succeed yeah. there's lots of interesting stuff that might happen if they succeed i was about to make that exact same point that if you think about that through the lens like again you you're if you have everything if you have notifications if you have communication if you have all the ability to do these things why, why would you lift a watch up to your face when everything that you could possibly want is right there already in front of you and and like that's that's the post watch future that or the post phone future, which admittedly is still a fair way away. But that's that's the fight that's taking place now. And what's so important, and this is again the difference between like sort of reporting and projecting the future, is the the spectacles are not even close to doing that right now. <laughs> All they are is, is funky looking sunglasses where you tap a button and record a video, and it's critical that they are not that now. Because the only way to build that is to you have to get on the face first, and then you can figure out where to go from there. And that's yeah. the mistake Google made. They started they they did all the technology, but no one wanted to put the damn things on. Right. No, totally. Like like start with a toy. Start with a toy. Yeah, it's not a bad approach. All right. Well, our thanks to uh, Mailchimp again for for sponsoring this episode. Do you have a, Do you have a segue, James, to tie in Mailchimp to, to I was, our I was, to spectacles this week? I, I don't know. I was going <laughs> to say not a toy. I don't know. I had to use them. Well, I had to. I used them during the week for uh, a friend is launching a book and he's built up a pretty big uh, mailing list subscriber. And one of the very cool features that I found out they had was they recommend a time now that that is optimal for sending your email. So they look through your list. They see where uh, people who are subscribed to other lists, when they're most likely to open emails. And based on all the subscribers you have in your MailChimp account, they will actually recommend this is the optimal time to send an email that is likely to get open on this day, which I thought was a pretty friggin' cool feature. Well, well yeah, there wasn't a segue, but but uh, I'm sure they will be very pleased nonetheless. <laughs> um, anyhow, we will we will uh, talk about Mel- no, we're not. Talking, we will talk about because they're sponsor. Uh, we will talk more next week. But yeah, uh, I will look forward to to seeing you in your spectacles. Yeah, uh, you know what? I I came in a complete skeptic, but yeah, I can now see a path to me wearing them. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> Have a good one, mate. Bye. <laughs>